Greetings and welcome to the Northern Lights Show, Episode 3. I'm your co-host, Maple. And I'm Flapjack. Hey, Flapjack. So I hear that you have a great show for us. What uh, show do we have? Indeed we do. We're going to start things off looking at the cost of this election, which looks to be the most expensive in Canadian history. We're going to then go to foreign policy. We haven't heard much talk from the leaders of the different political parties right now, but there is some trouble with China still brewing, and we need to hear what they think about that. You've got something on your mind that you're inter interested to tell us about, and I can't wait to hear it. I then have something of a, of a bit of an issue with the app News Voice. It's been taken down. It's been promoted by David Pakman, among others. It's been taken down a couple times and potentially for the last time. And we're going to wrap things up by going to Texas to talk about what's happening down there. Fantastic. Well, I want to pivot and talk about the Canadian election that's, um, that's uh, coming this September 20th. Estimates show that this federal election will cost us $108 million more uh, prior to the 2019 election. Uh, I'm just curious what your take on this is and what you think maybe your what, – what you believe the Trudeau's uh, intention was to call this election. Yeah, so I think it's, it's no question that this election was going to be pricey. Uh, Canadians definitely understand that with COVID comes – certain health and safety obligations from the government that they're going to have to pay for. Uh, you know, you've got more people voting in this election than ever before, more people with mail-in ballots than potentially ever before. Uh, all of those have different costs associated with it. Uh, now, I think Trudeau was playing the odds. He was in a minority government, as we all know, and that election was two years ago. Uh, so he is hoping that he can get back on track with a majority government, he must have heard some polling that was showing that he was uh, favored to win a majority government. Otherwise, exactly why would he call an election just two years later? And again, being the most expensive in history just two years after an election during a pandemic, that is not a good pill to swallow for any Canadian. Um, so yeah, it, it really does come down to is this campaign cost going to be justified when all is said and done? Yeah, that was a good point, Flapjack. As of right now, the Conservatives hold a narrow lead over the Liberals. So it does make me question as to whether this was wise to actually move forward uh, during a century-long um, pandemic. Yeah, no, exactly right. Uh, they must have heard something early on, but you're right. As soon as they announced this was coming, that those polls basically were flipped on it on their head because all of a sudden we saw the conservatives coming out swinging. They were ready to go. Um, and so they've really taken, uh, taken the liberals to task on this one. And I think it's, it is justified the criticism they're getting because we are in the middle of a pandemic. Per perhaps this would have been better left to wait until after we have handled the brunt of COVID and we start getting back to a, uh, pre-pandemic normal that's maybe when we can have an election where people are not as frightened to go out in public and that is why we're going to see a huge uptick potentially in mail-in ballots and also dealing with the health concerns of people going to the ballot boxes in person we're going to have to make sure that everyone is uh, healthy and uh, social distancing and masks and it's going to require a lot more on the government's end to uh, keep up with the safety measures than than ever before. 
uh, and that is just blowing up this budget. Yeah, greatly said. And as you said, more Canadians than ever before are going to vote uh, by mail. Up to two to three million Canadians. So Elections Canada is increasing their capacity to process mail-in voting. So depending on how the votes are tallied, we might have a delay of up to five days to have that final decision, kind of similar to what happened in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that was a, a massive shock for a lot of people who are not used to waiting for results. Um, they just assume, you know, we're in a digital age. This is, you know, 2021 after all. We should be able to uh, get these numbers out to the public pretty efficiently and pretty quickly. But yeah, it it's all comes down to the mail um, that is being deployed and being sent in. And so we may just have to wait. Although I will say uh, we have yet, we have not yet seen the increase in people applying for mail-in voting. They still have a few days. The The deadline is September 14th. So uh, there is um, not a huge rush right now, but as we move closer to that date, we may start to see those numbers really increase. Because uh, like you said, they are expecting it, but we just haven't seen those numbers yet. Fantastic. So we have the French language debates um, approaching actually uh, this evening. Now, yes, usually foreign policy is an issue that's very much present in the American debates and maybe even um, debates worldwide. Um, In the Canadian debates, not so much. Uh, Foreign policy will not be discussed in the English-speaking debates. Uh, I'm just curious what um, you think uh, will actually take place uh, this debate this evening. Yeah, it is interesting. Like you said, uh, they don't typically uh, focus on that for Canada. Uh, And I think it's because for a long time now, since uh, really the Cold War era, we really haven't had any um, major issues with our, our neighbors or our foreign allies and um being uh, considered the you know global country that that brings saris and 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 nice uh, to the table uh because we don't seem to have too many enemies we haven't really had to focus on how to handle uh countries um until just recently with the uh the issue between us and china after our uh, arrest of the CEO of uh, Huawei, Meng Wanzhou, that kind of put us in the crosshairs of China um, as we are an in-between step for her to be extradited to the United States. I think that's going to be a a massive factor for a lot of Canadians. Uh, I do think a lot of people will listen to what's being said in this French language debate because for the first time in quite a while, Canada does have some serious concerns with some foreign countries, and that is uh, a, a new a new frame of mind for a lot of Canadians. Yeah, of course. Now, <clears throat> to turn things a little bit around there, I, I wonder sometimes if these 
countries that have adversarial relations with America and other Western countries will sometimes pick a fight with us because they can and they can get away with it, knowing full well that any attack on Canada is an attack on, let's say, our friends down south or other Western countries. Um, just curious what you have to say about that. Yeah, and, and we have seen this before. Uh, we were one of the few countries and the first country to call out uh, Saudi Arabia uh, um, and their uh, issues towards women in their society. And Saudi Arabia came back uh, at us uh, with some some thoughts of their own, and we didn't really have any allies step up to the plate and uh, side with us in, in that sort of uh, battle of words. And that was kind of disheartening. Uh, we, we're starting to see a lot more um, isolation mentality from these countries to see how it plays out, and then they're going to pick the side that is best aligned with their interests um long term mm -hmm. and if that long-term interest is oil they're going to side with someone that they don't agree with socially uh but that they might be able to um use in other ways so it is kind of frightening that this is the world that we're starting to head into um because we have always been a country that tries to make friends instead of enemies and that if that starts to change, it's going to be something that we have not experienced uh, really since uh, I would say around the World War One. Because uh, after that, we've kind of just been standing side by side with our allies and not blinking and not flinching in in that respect. But but now we we might be going out out there all alone for the first time, and so this is uh, a, a new way of of canada trying to approach the world and hopefully we can get back to having solid allies uh with us in lockstep but until we start seeing that come about we have got to think in terms of canada's interests and how we can uh best portray ourselves on a global stage by ourselves of course now i don't look at china as the enemy as maybe some people do um through this lens of they're just here to destroy uh western culture and western civilization but they do pose a threat and they have been pretty or overly aggressive and even hostile and it makes me think how should canada respond sanctions what should we do here because that's the only other option i uh I hear from people sanctions. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, it, it does seem like that's the way that that this global uh, world is starting to handle their disagreements. The problem is with sanctions; they work a lot better on smaller countries than they do on larger countries. Just look at Cuba and Venezuela; uh, those two countries, a lot of their problems were caused by U.S. sanctions on them. In in terms of of Canada imposing sanctions, it, it you know that is one way to to go about um, handling disagreements with other countries. However, we are a much smaller country population wise than than China, and so the amount that 
our sanctions on them harm them is going to really depend on other countries joining us in those sanctions. And that's why I, I think Canada does need to look for uh, a little bit more stability in their allies. And hopefully we see that with the United States, uh, with uh, their new president and their new leadership. And we hope, we hope that continues with some European countries as well. On the brighter side, it does seem like Canada is finding a lot of commonality in Australia and New Zealand. And so that does seem to be a place where we can look for uh, a lot of support in both our, our social and our economic values. And hopefully the United States and Europe join us in that. But until they do uh, step up and get our backs the way we got theirs for so long, for so many years, uh, we do need to look uh, and, and pick our allies because I do not think we can win a sanctions battle with China by ourselves. But that being said, we should still look at that as a as a possible deterrent because we need to have some reaction to what is going on over there. Uh, like you said, they are being pretty aggressive right now. And so we need to be able to make a statement. And if that's all that the sanction is, then then so be it. But at least we make that statement and put it out there so that the world knows where we stand on these things. Yeah, and I want the record to show that we at the Northern Lights Show, we stand with solidarity with people of Chinese descent. We have nothing against those people. It's really more their author authoritarian government and their regime. Yep. Um, so when we make any arguments about China or how we want to interact with them on the world stage, we want it to be known that we don't want to hurt any of the citizens there. We, um, it's more of us combating their government. Exactly. And that is the big problem with sanctions is that it does end up hurting at least temporarily, but at worst, long term, the people of that country. Again, look at Cuba, look at Venezuela. That is what happens when you have sanctions laid on you by a much larger superpower that doesn't care about your population and just wants you to submit to their control. Now, I'm, I'm not saying one way or the other whether or not Cuba and Venezuela's governments are, are good at those times. I'm just saying that that's what happens when those sanctions were laid, is that those the people of those countries were unable to get the products support that they needed to basically have a, a decent and survivable living. And that is why we're seeing some of the turmoil down there is directly the cause of the sanctions from the United States. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. We don't want to hurt any of the common people. This has nothing to do with the population in these countries. And I, I think that's a big thing that everyone needs to just understand about uh, our politics, but a along with a lot of the other left-wing uh, political voices, is that when they talk about a country, they're only talking about the leadership because we all understand, at least... At least on the on the left, we all understand that just because a country is acting in a particular way does not mean its people agree with it. Just look at your own country, wherever you are, and you'll see 
that you don't always agree with what your government does. Just like just like here in Canada or down in the United States, you can see a wide range of political ideologies, and so you're not always going to agree. And right now, it seems for the most part, most of the time, the people don't agree with what the government is doing. And so I, I think that is a healthy way to view other countries when it comes to foreign policy, is that it's not about the citizens over there. It's not us versus them. It's our country's political ideologies versus theirs, and and where do you stand on it? Exactly. Also, what may be discussed, but perhaps briefly, is Afghanistan. Of course, the progressive conservatives, as well as the NDPs, have called out the Trudeau government for their lack of effort in evacuating um, Canadians and also people that helped us uh, during uh, this war on terror. Um, what do you have to say about that, Flapjack? Yeah, I, I will say it's it's easy to criticize, but it's a lot harder when you're in the position and it's not clear from the other parties what they would have done differently. If there could have been anything done differently, as we talked about in a previous segment, this was sort of sprung on us as a country. Uh, we were in there as part of an alliance with the United States. And so they were really taking the lead on this and we were kind of just along for the ride. And so when, when they started to move and informed us of their expectations, when those didn't come to fruition, we were caught off guard, same as them. And so, yeah, it's very easy to point out in hindsight that this was done poorly by other parties, but could they have done anything differently? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so really. Gotcha. Anything else that you want to say about Afghanistan? Um, no, I, I hope that the effort continues uh, uh, in terms of getting those uh, civilians, especially the ones that helped us out of there, because those are the ones in most danger uh, in terms of uh, what might happen to them if they stay and if it's found out that they were helping us or the United States. And uh, I do think that um, not enough is talked about the amount, the, the effort that uh, Europe is helping out. I know that um, Italy and Germany have done a tremendous job as well, taking in a lot of these um, these immigrants. So it, it is great great to see that. And Canada is trying to step up and, and take quite a number as well. But it's a lot harder to get them here, especially with the current situation where they can no longer use the airport. So now we have to get them to another country first, then come here so yeah uh, it's going to take some time it's going to be ongoing but i think for the most part canadians have kind of moved away from that it was a one time like hey this was a screw up but i don't think it really did much in terms of damaging trudeau long term uh, it, it does feel like it was uh, in the moment here's some heat but it's blown over because i do think people realize that ultimately this is not trudeau's mess and he's doing an okayish job cleaning it up and it's not clear anyone else could clean it up any better mm -hmm. or any worse. It seems like everyone would just sort of do the same thing in this situation. Yes, I do see parallels with Biden, for instance, if we want to take things down south. His approval rating is just dropping like flowers. Oh, yes. And most people will point the finger to Afghanistan. But by the time where we reach 2024, considering 
how news is 24 hours and how, you know, one story might lead for a few days at best, but then they're on to better and brighter things that give them better ratings. So I think it's the same exact theme with, with Trudeau. It's the economy, and I think it's COVID. The same, yep. the same with Biden. Yeah, and I, I do. I will say, uh, as we move towards what is hopefully the end of this pandemic, that it doesn't seem to be coming fast enough for many people, both in the United States and here in Canada. And that, I do believe, is partly to blame for both Trudeau and Biden's um, lower than expected popularity. Uh, Trudeau thought he was going to come out and be basically a beacon of hope uh, in this pandemic uh, election, but he did not account for the fact that people are sick and tired of this. And now there's talk of a booster shot, which means a third vaccine. Plus we're still dealing with masks and people thought it would be done by now. And because it's not, that is really getting uh, under people's skin and, and they are letting the current political leaders of both countries hear about it. Yeah, and it's just, going back to Trudeau, it makes me think that Trudeau might be having delusions of grandeur. I honestly think that he thought that something was making him think that he could have won, but obviously he has a bunch of yes men around him. Not to criticize him too much, but it, it does show just the level of disconnect between his constituents and himself. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree. I, I think this was a poorly timed election. And to think that calling an election mid fourth wave of a of a pandemic that you said would be over by now, and to think that people would still see you as the solution. Yeah, there, there's definitely something off there. I'm, I'm not sure where he was getting his numbers from. Uh, yes, early on, people were upset. And then middle of the pandemic, people were happy with him because we were starting to get vaccines. We became the leading country of the world in terms of getting uh, second dose vaccines. So, you know, yeah, that that was a great step. And I think at that moment, he may have thought, hey, I'm doing a great job. Let's get this election going. But now that we're entering our fourth wave, we're still got these these masks there's talk of lockdowns there's these vaccine passports that we've talked about before all of that coming up at right around the election such poor timing and uh, i can't believe he didn't see this that being said i'm thinking that maybe we should transition a little bit you were talking about the news voice application being taken down uh in the google play store yeah so for those of you who don't know, uh, there is a online uh, broadcaster by the name of David Pakman, and this is where I first heard about this app. Uh, he uh, promoted it, and they are they were a sponsor of his, I guess I should say. Uh, and their big claim to fame was they were uh, unbiased, community-filtered news. And the way they did this is by having every single article on their platform always had a source from a, a journal that leaned both right, left, and in the center. They always had three. That way you could read all three articles in one go and compare 
and get the full story if your particular um if your typical brand was leaving some things out you would get them from the other articles and it really helped me in terms of not being in my own echo chamber on the left it allowed me to hear from people on the right and a lot of the comments were from people on the right so it did seem like it was taking a hold on the right and i was happy about that because i was like okay these guys are actually getting information that they would not normally get from the left. It's not it's not working right away, but it takes time for them to read and see the differences on these articles. And, you know, eventually, once they understand all sides, my hope and I think the hope of the platform creator would eventually these people would be a lot less uh politically charged, angry, aggressive, all that stuff. Well, it turns out that Google Play Store um about a year ago took them down uh, and their official reasoning was they were profiting from disaster. They had some sort of search bar where you could search for a particular disaster being COVID or a wildfire or something like that. And that would allow you to search by those particular articles that talked about those subjects. To me, that's nothing more than a Google search bar, but apparently Google did not like that. That was implemented in their app so they took them down told them to remove it um ironically google now has that in their own news app but i digress uh so that was the first time they were taken down they had since corrected that mistake they put their website uh they put their app back up on the google play store but they're now their website that hosts it their actual server on the back end has been taken down and it is unclear why and it's unclear what happened now i will say this was a community uh built and uh, community financed app so they took donations similar to medium or other sort of those like online blog websites uh so there is a potential that that is what took them down but it's not clear but what is clear is that uh the online news source of google did not like this app on its platform and this just kind of hits home when you see things like parlor being taken down and you, on the left, you you don't really care about it because you're not on that platform. But when it when it starts to hit you, you start realizing, hey, this is a problem. We can't have Google choosing which news apps get on your phone. Yeah, would you say this is a case of big tech censorship? It definitely seems like that. Uh, you know, at least the very first one when Google had them take down. Uh, when Google took down their app the first time around, it was strictly because they claimed their search bar was helping them uh, monetize disaster, is their their words. Uh, that is complete nonsense when you look at any news uh, app, any news organization. Just look at the front page. It's a disaster. So Google coming on them uh, strongly there, it made no sense to me considering that they not only have an article that will say in the case of covid be giving potentially some misleading information but they have an article right next to it about the exact same topic correcting it and that's what i loved about this particular app and that's why i think it's so dangerous to take this particular one down when it it is one of the few that actually has all streams attached to it whereas if you leave up just just the one Fox News or, or CNN or MSNBC, something like that, 
those ones are the ones that are politically charged whereas this one seemed to be very good at bringing people together and and catering to everyone and allowing people to see the differences and correct the errors themselves and i think that's really important and that's what's missing from a lot of media literacy yeah of course i mean the importance of the application from at least how you describe it shows how different um, news websites depict their bias like for instance omission is actually um a sense of well it is a component of bias that's that's why if let's say for instance the mainstream media uh cable news the cnn's the msnbc's uh down south when they have something damning to talk about uh when it comes to trump or the republicans normally the fox news will just omit it they'll just choose different news to cover even if it is uh, valid exactly and and that's and that's what i think was so off about taking a nap like this down that was actually talking about issues that was that was being covered by all different political spectrums because like you said them avoiding talking about something is almost as bad as talking about it in a misleading way because it makes people unaware of a particular situation that in in covid's case is life-threatening uh so it's just i i don't understand what google is doing there and it's scary when it comes around on on the other foot and all of a sudden the apps that you're using start to be taken down or cracked down on by the powers that be by these big tech giants that can basically take down your server if if they're hosting it and say hey you can't come here and there's only a handful to go to so if all of them crack down on you, you're out of luck. You cannot do it on your own. You need these tech giants. I agree. Um, now, when it comes to the show's opinion, I was definitely against Parler being removed uh, from the Google Play Store, Apple's App Store. That I thought was a, a silly decision, completely reactionary. Uh, I was even against Trump being banned by Twitter. Because at the end of the day someone as terrible as trump i mean i want to know what this motherfucker is saying i i i want to know i want full transparency um yeah so that's how i stand i mean i wouldn't necessarily say i'm a free speech absolutist i mean maybe there's a limit um the limit is probably advocating for genocide with me but um here on the show i mean fuck it, people are going to say stupid shit on the internet, whether or not they're right-wing or left-wing. Exactly. And I think that's all it is, is that you, you do want to know what these uh, people on a, a differing political view are saying because you, you want to know where their mind's at. Like you, you don't want to go around completely oblivious to the fact that these people are in pain. I mean, that's what that's how you get Trump. That is how you get this anger and frustration towards politicians because we're not talking to each other we're talking past each other and so i i think it's important to hear what these people have to say there is a limit uh both legally and ethically there are limits to the to the freedom of speech well in canada but, there are but go ahead yeah well yeah like the legal legal limits obviously that and there are in canada as in the united states certain things such as uh harassment or um, causing uh, 
causing a dangerous situation such as a, a false um, cry for, for a fire or a bombing in a building, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there are limits to free speech, but in terms of just stating your thoughts on a particular topic on Twitter, yeah, come on. I, I don't understand Twitter's idea there. And, and this does reinforce the idea that these tech giants do need to become part of uh, part of the government. They need to be protected under free speech laws by the government, and the only way to do that is to have them operate as an arm of the government, or at least as a uh, political space that is controlled by the people and not some corporation. Because when they're in a corporation, they can just claim their own freedom to ban whoever they want, whenever they want, for whatever reason they want. And that is a huge issue uh, be, simply because it could always be you. And that's, I, I hate that that has to be how people think about it because we seem to be lacking empathy right now in the world. But if you need to think about it from your own uh, selfish reasons, it could be you next or it could be someone that you know or something that you enjoy online. That It could be that next. And so to stop that we have to make it part of the public sphere and and protected uh, in terms of people's freedom to to talk yeah very w- well said i'm sure we'll uh, discuss more uh, at a later time um but uh yeah freedom of speech is definitely a double-edged sword um problem is it um <laughs> it gives uh terrible people the ability to say what they want but at the same time we get to combat that with our speech so yeah. Exactly. So, uh, on that kind of kind of on that topic, what do you uh, got for us uh, today? Well, I wanted to talk about the doom and gloom that most Canadians feel. <laughs> you know, the doom or, or the gloom of not being able to pay your bills on time, or you're in major credit card debt debt in general. Uh, the fear that you know you might raise, uh, you might have a child one day. But you notice all your politicians aren't doing anything to uh, basically uh, fight the climate change issue. So that's um, kind of uh, what we're going for. So let me just uh, top you off. Um, So dear fellow left people and even you centrists, come hither. Why do we live our lives with so much dread? Is it because the world is burning for which it is? Is it because we fear automation leading to mass unemployment? Or is it that we can never seem to get rid of the ruling class? Well, I got news for you. Yes, you can. We need to turn that dread into action. We need community involvement. And while I understand this is COVID and all, just do the best that you can, people. Help your neighbor across the hall and get that sweet fix that no drug could ever replace, which is generosity. Go sit on a PTA meeting too, Karen. I'm sure they're just dying to hear from you. The dread is never ending because there won't be a free market capitalist society when the world is burning or underwater. And you can't sell your home when it's underwater, Ben. As for the free market capitalism part, I'm sure the net's breakaway civilization will encounter it before devolving into cannibalism. We call that one late-stage capitalism. The survival of our species is at stake, but in order to revo- reverse course, we need to react like this is a time of war. 
But what if the person beside you doesn't believe it's a war worth fighting? Or even worse, they do not recognize the threat. What threat? It's a hoax. And the cold chill of dread can be felt on the back of your neck. The future doesn't have to be inhabitable desert planet run by the Jeff Bezos of the world whom circle jerk each other off into space. And despite what the pundits or bullshit politicians may say, you can protect and secure, here I am saying that word, secure, the economy while protecting the environment. This should not be considered a contradiction. So to the doomers, the gloomers, those desperately trying to reach the middle class or those clinging to stay there, your dread is a reaction to unmet needs. These unmet needs may not have been given the appropriate political response. Your reaction is turned into action instead of dread, and despite insurmountable odds, you are truly connected and helping when you're reaching out. So all I can say is this, volunteer, help one another. I'm not saying the right does this better than us, or maybe I do. What I am saying is go forth and be your best self. The world of people doing their best is a world of hope. Stay safe, stay frosty, Maple out. All right, thank you for that, Maple. All right, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think... Uh... A lot of people, when they do feel that doom and gloom, they do retreat and uh, kind of lock themselves away in a uh, self-isolationist mentality, and that's not healthy and it's not productive. Yes, but we are hard. very good at it on the left. Yes, I, I, but it, I will say it is hard uh, to really find the energy after working your job, coming home, and then having to become an activist and uh, it's the unfortunate situation that we all find ourselves in now on, I think, both the left and the right. Both sides do have a fear of the other, and that is just making the dread that much worse. So I, I agree. It's just it's uh, it is tough to get motivated, uh, even with all that dread, uh, just because it is so exhausting. Oh, it's so very exhausting, but it is also exhausting when people to the right of you don't acknowledge global warming. They believe it was a hoax created by the Chinese government or this government to, I don't know, do something. I don't really understand the conspiracy itself, but it can be exhausting too when you see this threat, uh, record wildfires, um, record droughts, record heat waves, and you see these people and they're just an obstacle that you can't seem to get rid of because they're so connected in their communities. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's important that we say that, yes, you know, climate change is real and vaccines work, all that stuff. Like it is very frustrating to not only have to battle real social economic issues against the elites, but also to deal with the people on the ground who think it's all a conspiracy and that you are part of it. Like somehow we are part of some vaccine conspiracy. I don't understand it. Yes, the people making the vaccines are making money, and that is an elite problem, not a left versus right. That is the right being lied to and the left not going after the right people, which is the elites who have protected 
those uh, companies patents and not mm-hmm. release them to the to the open patent uh, market, which tons of countries around the world could easily make the vaccines so uh, plentiful that we wouldn't have any shortages. But I digress. That's a different topic. But essentially, yes, we, we it's frustrating when you're, you're you seem to be battling both the people to the right of you as well as the corporatists, as well as the elites. And so, yes, I agree. Action is important. And it's just finding the, the will to do it. Thank you for that, Maple. Now, let's head on down south to Texas. Yes. So this is the down south segment where we talk about anything down south to us which includes all of america so recently there was a new law passed in texas banning and criminalizing abortions after six weeks the reason as to why six weeks is normally a heartbeat and a fetus is detected after six to seven weeks so flapjack big news down south what do you have to make of this yeah, it is interesting uh, to say the least. So the Supreme Court uh, did have to make a ruling, sort of. They refused to block the law. Uh, they voted five to four. However, uh, there was no majority opinion that was signed, just a paragraph talking about that the uh, the proper procedures to challenge the law were not met. Uh, They did not make the case that the law uh, faced uh, complex and novel procedural questions. This, this ruling is not really a ruling. Uh, It's more of a kicking the can down the road uh, because another challenge will definitely be coming. And so they will have to eventually make a stance on it. I think they're hoping that the U S government steps in and, makes their case uh, and just makes a law about it. But uh, here in Canada, that is the law of the land. Uh, it is a federal uh, law here that it is legally allowed. And the parties, for the most part, seem to be uh, in support of that. Although there is, obviously, the, the, the far, far right parties are not in support of that. And then the conservative party is kind of wishy-washy as we pointed out in an earlier segment there is a large number of them that voted against maintaining that law so yeah it's uh here in canada it does not seem to be an issue not on this ticket anyway because o'toole has come out and said that he is pro-choice even though 85 of his mps are pro-life and uh, would vote against uh, a pro-choice type of bill uh, if something were to come down the pipeline like that, but that doesn't seem to be a worry here in Canada. Yes. What's most troubling, at least for me, is there are no exceptions for rape or incest. Um, recently, Governor Abbott said that he, in support of the new state law, should eliminate all rapists from the streets. Um, and that's his response to there being no exceptions um, to this what are your thoughts yeah so it it is such a it seems strange uh to not include those provisions i believe the mindset of the lawmakers is that they don't want any type of loophole 
that then could become what they would consider a slippery slope argument that would basically lead to um, just back to the old ways, quote unquote, from their point of view of abortions for everyone, even though Texas is one of the most restrictive places to begin with, uh, let alone after this bill, which basically outlaws it uh, because most women do not even know that they're pregnant until that time. And that is why they picked it, because let me just say this, the heartbeat bill, which is this is sort of going along with, uh, is not scientifically valid. Uh, The fact that we can have cells that produce a heartbeat is not indicative of life. We can produce those same results in a Petri dish that is not attached to a body. So it, it has no basis in scientific fact they're just using that as a means to explain why it's six weeks but the real reason it's six weeks is because that's when people start to find out that they're pregnant yes and i think the mo of the republican party that uh, pushes for these socially conservative conservative ideas what their mo is is while we can't outright ban it but we can sure as hell make it as difficult as possible to get an abortion so they'll defund uh, Planned Parenthood. Um, you know, they'll just cut funding as much as they can because yeah. they view abortion as murder, and they want to do everything that they can to make sure that you can't murder something that isn't even a human yet. Exactly. I and and I one thing that strikes me as odd about this entire bill is that it's not simply a regulation on healthcare clinics. But instead, it seems to be asking the population of Texas, the citizens of Texas, to help enforce this strange new law. And I think that's what's the the biggest shock factor out of all of this, is that it's calling on uh, people of the state of Texas to basically rat out their fellow citizens, uh, which I, I really don't understand how this is a correct way to push for uh, this anti-abortion uh, mindset. You just have a bunch of people kind of ratting each other out and and uh, everyone starts to become really antagonistic towards each other when that happens. So what do you think about this? Well, my theory is is when the conservatives don't actually have policy that can make anyone's life better, then they'll tend to push towards these culture, culture war ideas and also more socially conservative ideas such as abortion. So I think this is more a response of them not really knowing what else to do to stay relevant. Because they need to do stuff to stay relevant, but they don't have anything that can actually improve the lives of Americans or people, just people in general. Mm, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it's it is striking that they have completely moved away from policy and do fixate on these these social culture issues that. Uh, have no policy behind them and like you said don't make anyone's lives better Uh, and in this particular case makes everyone's lives worse Uh, the fact that people who are just driving an uber apparently can get sued 
by someone because they took someone to a clinic, it it becomes insane. And there's still that question of can they go out of state because it's not illegal, say, in California. So mm-hmm. could they go to California and get this uh, procedure and then come back to Texas? Uh, you know, it it's insane to me that that's what would have to happen. And one thing I want to make clear, again, is it's about the difference between elites and the rest of us. Because for the wealthy, this is not an issue. They will simply go out of state. All of the politicians, if they have an issue like this, they will be fine. And a lot of the conservative politicians are happy to have this procedure done for family members if need be. It's only for the rest of us, the people on the ground, we suffer from these policies. And that's the bottom line is it's not about some conservative mindset for them because if if their uh, daughter wants this procedure, they're happy to take her out of state for it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the part that really gets me, that they put these policies in place that only affect people with no money and then sit there shouting that they are on the side of righteousness and, and, and ethics. That is direct. I also think um, talking about abortion is they tend to be to say they're pro-life, but they don't actually support any other policies besides that that show that they're pro-life. For instance, you can be pro-life and you can be also pro-war. Um, so I think it's just to get the compassionate angle where the compassionate ones, the left wants to murder your babies, etc. Uh, I think it's really just um, a, I think it's really just a, a ploy. I, I don't I don't even think most conservatives even care about abortion. I, I think you're right. I, I think a lot of the topics that are discussed now in political discourse, uh, because they have no real um, benefits towards the the rest of us, and it's all some culture war thing. It does seem to be like oh. My side thinks X, therefore I think X, even if like it, I've never even thought about it. I don't think about it. It's not that big a deal. But because my side has told me that this is, this is the battleground, uh, we saw that happen with the right-wing media when it came to Dr. Zeus, uh, Mr. Potato Head, that kind of stuff. Like These are things nobody cares about. And if, and if the news hadn't talked about it and you go into a store and you just see a toy labeled potato head and you're, and you're, you're not going to start getting outraged that it's not Mr. Potato head anymore. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. That it's all seems to be, um, pushed on both parties, but particularly the right, uh, what they are supposed to be angry about and what they should be thinking about, even if it's not something that affects their lives. Mm-hmm. Also, I think it's quite difficult to make any pro-life arguments without the absence of God. Just throwing that out there. Oh, oh, uh, unquestionably, yes. That is the only place it comes from. And it's always interesting to me because I don't think the right actually likes the idea of separation of church and state. And, they but don't. they can't say that because then they, they would be admitting a, a huge red flag in that they don't actually want to follow their own uh, constitution or laws 
that are in place, they have their own ideas, which is simply to follow some religious ideology. Well, they think most of them that democracy is God-given. Kind of gets a little bit strange when they start announcing those That's things. That's right. Yeah. Now, uh, finishing off this, this Texas deal, there is still this matter that we've touched upon with the News Voice segment, but it is the GoDaddy hosting uh, web host uh, company will not be they, they've refused they will not be hosting the whistleblower website that was going to be set up by the uh texas government uh to help people uh report on citizens that are having abortions so obviously um because this is a brand new law i do think that in this particular moment it is nice to have a little bit of a stay in terms of people immediately reporting others. So I think, you know, I actually do like this. However, that does beg the question, how much of the uh, political climate is going to be on the backs of these companies to wade through? So GoDaddy takes down this whistleblower website, but they could take down another website that is very, um, helpful to people next they could take down a site that helps people learn about abortions next if, if the wrong people uh gain power in that organization and this is a problem not just with godaddy but with all the big tech giants so what are your thoughts on this yeah definitely it seems as though we're about to where it all began with uh big tech here um i, I would say it's unconstitutional in, in my eyes. Um, but I'm not surprised it happened. It sounds very, it, it, it reads a McCarthyism is, is what it does. You know, the snitching on people, it's reminiscent yeah. to like communist societies, like in the USSR or even, uh, present day North Korea. There's definitely some McCarthyism there. It's just, um, just uh, yeah. quite a sad state of affairs. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I see what you're saying. And, you know, a part of it is that I feel like the government is quite a bit to blame here in that they are ineffective at handling these social issues. And they do seem to pass the, the buck, so to speak, on to these companies who then have to wade through this divisive political climate and it's hard not to see where their logic is coming from. They are after all a company that is trying to make money. And so if they feel like a particular website from GoDaddy's perspective, if they feel like a particular website that they're hosting is going to generate a lot of negative press and ultimately lose them money, they're going to dump it. And so same thing with Twitter. They see that Donald Trump is out there um, ranting and, and, causing a bunch of issues with his incorrect statements uh and so they they feel like their legitimacy is being harmed by the fact that he's on their platform so they they get rid of him and the big problem is that that is because their goal is to make money and they feel like these things that they just got rid of would stand in the way of that and so it seems to be like clear to, to me anyway that 
these companies do need to be released from that particular burden of trying to only make money by becoming public utilities or some sort of uh, public sphere that is protected by the free speech. Uh, because when it comes down to it, their bottom line is money. And so that is sort of where they're coming from. You do have some companies uh, like like Ben and Jerry's that um, might be losing money on their uh, political um, ideology, which I fully support, but uh, it is a big stance for them to take well, over in Palestine. They did get a lot of money from me, but go on. Well, I, I will say yes, they got money from me too, but in terms of like, they are not going to be selling ice cream in that particular part of the world. Uh, that has the potential for them to lose money long term, but that's their prerogative. Uh, they they own their own company and, and they want their company to support their political and ethical values. But a lot of these companies do not care about their own ethical values. They only care about money. And so I think it's up to the government to make sure that that is not the bottom line for these companies, because that is why we're seeing these decisions. If it turned out that having a pro, uh, pro-abortion pro or at least abortion information online would be a problem for a company, they would shut that down too. And that is the real risk we run here by letting these companies pick and choose simply based on money, because that should not be where our ethics lie. Luckily for us right now, a lot of people are socially, uh, culturally left, and therefore they are the consumers that GoDaddy, Twitter, Google, Facebook will be using. And so those companies do tend to skew and and not remove um, left-wing things, although they do, as we saw with News Voice, as well as some other uh, left-wing channels on those platforms that were um, talking about things that that the platform thought would be detrimental to them, uh, they removed them as well. So this is why we we need to eliminate the fact that money is really what's talking on these platforms and not voices. And I think that is where this all comes to a big head and that both the left and the right seem to agree that big tech should not be dictating what is out in the public square. However, I don't know if the right has any idea on how to fix this issue because for them to fix it our way would be for them to admit that government does have a place in society which ultimately they don't like to say what what do you think about that uh (laughs) we might have some disagreement but it's always uh, respectable um i don't believe in the um the solution being uh, more government and bigger government to this problem. Um, I wouldn't want the government to necessarily get a hold of these social media giants. Um, so, I mean, it is interesting when people on the right make that argument because it is a form of socialism that they're bringing up. They basically don't like big tech. Big tech is a problem. And even though I'm apparently for small government, Let's uh, just go ahead and just take over Twitter, and I'll be the next Jack Dorsey, and we'll have a fun time. We'll um, send uh, <laughs> memes about Pepe the Frog, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, own the libs. Isn't that what we're designed to do, own the libs? <laughs> yeah, something like that. 
Yeah, I can't really say that I have a solution for you. It's a, it's, it's a difficult and complicated issue. I don't necessarily believe government should get in bed with these social media giants. And if it all depends on what government as well. It just seems like um, a road to fascism. That's right. I said the F word. Yeah, no, I, I, I do understand that concern. Uh, I think we're, I, I will say this also, I don't know if the viewers are from the United States or Canada. In Canada, we have a lot less of this um, weird government overlord uh, signal virtuing uh, because we do have a lot of uh, government, at least partially run organizations that are out in the public, uh, such as the the media broadcasting company, but also smaller things. So in terms of, of real estate, the, the organizations that handle real estate are at an arm's length of the government, but they are government bodies nonetheless, uh, because the government does want to help and make sure that the real estate in Canada functions uh, to some degree. And so they are the ones that have, for example, mandated that real estate agents take courses to become real estate agents not not anyone could just show up one day and say i am in real estate so it's these types of programs where they aren't paid by the government they aren't part of the government but they are at least protected by the government in terms of how they function and their um efficacy and that would at least ensure that something like twitter if it were to be a part of this style of program uh it just ensures that it's it's not being run simply for money. It would be set up as a nonprofit, and so it wouldn't have that burden or fear for some CEOs of only making money. It would understand its place as the public square and operate accordingly. But I agree that there is definitely some fear there on my part too that the certain certain political parties could use this and potentially abuse it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finding a solution that uh, that both allows them to operate as uh, a public entity but also not be abused is a very tough tightrope to, to walk. Yeah, when it, when it comes to solutions to this problem, I would say most prominent figures don't really have good faith solutions. It's more of just anger. Hey, I'm a conservative or I'm a progressive left. Oh, look, YouTube has demonetized my videos, yada, yada, yada. Um, so as of right now, I can't say I can really give you a solution uh, to these uh, major problems. I would say the government approach, getting government involved, I'll have to think about that. So maybe, um, maybe next time. All right, sounds good. I think that just about does it for our show uh, for now. Yeah, so my name is Mabel. And I'm Flapjack. And thanks for watching the Northern Light Show. Our strain of politics is potent AF. Stay frosty.